Welcome to another episode of our digitally remastered old-time radio shows from SolvedMystery.com. Visit our website for complete collections of your favorite old-time radio series. Remember to follow us so you won't miss new releases from SolvedMystery.com. How do you do? We've called this the story of the great gold robbery. were delivered in three iron-bound boxes to London Bridge Station to be dispatched by the South Eastern Railway to the continent. These boxes had been sealed and weighed by the carriers. At the railway station, they were placed in safes that were considered impregnable and transferred to the Folkestone boat train under care of the guard. Each safe had two locks and duplicate keys were in the possession of trusted servants of the railway company at London Bridge, at Folkestone, and with the captain of the channel boat. At Boulogne, the safes were opened, and as a matter of routine, the boxes were weighed before being sent on to Paris. I cannot understand it. This number two case. It weighs 40 pounds less than it should do, according to the paper. Maybe they make a mistake in London. What about the other boxes? Oh, they weigh about the same, except for the fourth box. That weighs a little more. There must be something wrong with their scales in London. Anyway, they are sealed up all right. What had we better do? Send them on to Paris. And so it was not until the boxes reached Paris that they were opened. What's this? Look, not gold. Bags and bags of lead shot. Gold, weighing over 200 pounds worth today a small fortune, and even at this time of a value exceeding 12,000 pounds, had been extracted. In its place were neatly sewn bags of lead shot. Somewhere between London and Paris, one of the cleverest robberies of the age had been perpetrated. Nowhere was the slightest trace of how the trick had been done. months had passed and still the search went on. The first clues came, as is often the case, through a woman's jealousy. Her name was Fanny Kay, a simple girl, but when roused she was as jealous as anyone else. She was in a fine state of temper when she came to see the police. I've come for my rights. That's what I've come for. Now calm yourself, ma'am. Calm yourself. Now tell us how we can help you. I've been robbed. Robbed of my money, which is my due. Who's robbed you and how? He's not only robbed me. He's robbed me man as well as my child. Yes, but who has robbed you? Pierce, his name is. William Pierce. Where does he live? Where I live. I lodge with his mother. Now, suppose you tell me your story quietly and calmly, and we'll see how we can help you. All right, then. 
I'll tell you the story. It began this way. Oh, well, first you better know that my man is Edward Agar. The forger? He's no forger. He was sentenced to seven years at the Old Bailey for forgery less than two months past. Sentenced he was, but forgery he did not do. It was Jim, the penman. Well, is it he who has robbed you? Not Jim. Then who has robbed you? Pierce. He was a friend of my man. And when Ted was arrested for the forgery and put in jail, Pierce was to look after me. He took me and my child to live with his mother. And my child and I have lived in his charity these past two months. <laughs> At least I thought it was charity until I heard from Ted. You've uh, had a letter from him? More than that, I've seen him. He'd given Pierce the care of £7,000 of his money, and Pierce, <laughs> what's he given me? A pound a week is charity. £7,000? <laughs> Mr. Agar must have found crime a profitable occupation. But it's my money. Well, that remains to be seen. Well, it's not Pierce's money. Oh, yes, there I agree with you. The question is, where did Mr. Agar get £7,000? I, I think I'll have a little talk with Mr. Agar. This did not lead very far, for Agar was keeping his mouth shut. He'd been arrested for forgery and convicted. That much the police had against him, but there was no reason to connect him with the great gold robbery. True, he had £7,000, but that was not in gold. The mystery seemed as deep as ever until... You wanted to see Roberts, one of the porters, sir? Uh, that's right. Is he on duty? Uh, yes, sir. But I don't understand. He wasn't on duty the night of the robbery. No, he wasn't, but he was on the following day, and we've already questioned all the porters who were on the night of the robbery. Yes, sir, but when Roberts was on duty, the gold was aboard the boat on its way to France. Not all the gold. Remember that. Anyway, I'd like a word with Roberts, the porter. Come along with me. Yes, Roberts is my name. Uh, you were on platform until the day after the gold robbery. That's right, sir. It must be a hard job, a porter's work. Well, it's not an easy one. Sometimes the luggage you have to lift, uh, it's very heavy, eh? Pretty heavy, sir. And when it's very heavy, the passengers are glad to have you carry it. I say they are. Uh, not always, though. Uh, what do you mean, not always? Well, it's, it's funny you should mention it, sir, but it was the very day after the gold robbery. I was on duty on the platform and a couple of passengers with two big travelling bags were taking a train to London. Yeah, what happened? Well, I picked up their bags, at least I tried to, and my, they were heavy. Well, but you carried them all, sir. It does, sir. No, I'll never forget what happened. One of them first stepped up and he did. Leave it alone, Porter. Why, what's the matter, sir? Uh, leave that bag alone. All right, sir. You want to carry it yourself? I certainly do. Uh, can I see your ticket, sir? Very well. Thank you, sir. But uh, these are from Austin. Well, what of it? Well, there's no boat in from Austin today, sir. Oh, we came yesterday. Oh, very good, sir. You're sure I can't carry your bags? Uh, no, but um, here's two shillings for you. Thank you, sir. Well, that's a hurry, sir. All right, man, give the bags to me. And that's the last I saw of him, sir. But not the last you'll ever see, I think. Roberts, you're coming to London with me. You're going to Newgate Prison. Why, what have I done? You haven't done anything, but you can help us a great deal. I want you to see if you can recognize the passenger you met that day. Roberts, the porter, was brought up to London and identified Agar as the mysterious passenger. Still, Agar refused to talk. But now, the first link in the chain of evidence was complete, and the hunt was on. With 
Hagar identified as one of the criminals behind the gold robbery, the police now went over the ground all over again. They brought in Burgess, the railway guard, and confronted with Agar, Burgess broke down. One by one, the crews were followed up until at last the full diabolical story was revealed. Listen now to how this crime, almost the perfect crime, was carried out. To tell the full story, we'll have to go back not six months to the actual robbery, but fully 18 months. For over a year of planning went into this famous crime. Edward Agar was the mastermind, and yet the original idea came from a minor criminal known as Ted Pierce. As you may know, before I went to work for a bookmaker, I was employed as a ticket printer by the South Eastern Railway. Yes, I know that. Well, now, in my work at the station, I've often seen consignments of gold on their way from London to the continent. And I remember that it wasn't a hundred pounds or even a thousand pounds, but more, much more. Enough money for a man or several men to retire on for life. Provided they don't spend the remainder of their lives in prison for attempted robbery. Ah, anyone clever enough to steal the gold should be clever enough to keep it. And how would they go about it? Well, I'm not that clever. If I was, I wouldn't have to come to you. But I'll tell you one thing. If anyone is to steal the gold, it must be done in such a way that the police can never find out exactly where it was taken. What do you mean, ma'am? Well, it travels from London to Paris, or wherever it's going, in sealed boxes, iron boxes. They're locked. Then we'd have to get the key to the boxes. Ah, not only that, but the key to the safe in which they keep the boxes. Yeah, but they must be kept in more than one safe. Yeah, it's a safe on the train, safe on the station, and one on the boat. And where do you think our best chance would be? On the train. It's a mad idea. I'll have no part of it. Still, it might be worth looking in. And look into it, he did. Agar went down to Folkestone for the day, found out that at least one of the keys must be kept there, for the station master at Folkestone had the responsibility for unlocking the safe on the train. He was a patient man, was Agar. Stayed at Folkestone for over a fortnight and managed to make friends with a number of people who worked for the railway. Mr. Agar, I've some news for you. You've got the key. No, but it's lost. Well, how does that help us? Well, they've ordered a new key for the bullion boxes. They're changing the locks, and by next week they'll all be altered. And what about the new key? It'll be brought to our offices by the locksmith, and it's my job to turn it over to the station master. And he gives it to the bank? That's right, sir. How long will you have it? Oh, only a few hours. Less by right, sir. I daren't take any risk. Do you know a pub near the station? Well, there's the place where I have my lunch. It's called the Blue Boar. At what time of the day do you think the key will be brought to you? That I can't say. Probably the morning, sir. Mm, sometime next week. All right, then. Each morning you'll find me in the Blue Boar. If the locksmith comes in, bring the key to me as quickly as possible. All right, sir, but I daren't take a risk. For four days, Agar waited in the bar of the Blue Boar. Then his patience was rewarded. Here it is, Mr. Agar. Now, good. Give it me. Let it leave my hands. Give it me. All right, then. Take care. Is there somewhere I can wash my hands? Oh, yes, sir. Just across the back of the bar. Oh, thank you. Uh, come with me, Tessa. <laughs> Agar had with him the necessary wax from which to take an impression. Within 20 minutes, the original key was back at the station, and Agar was busy making a duplicate. So far, he'd only had the key to the boxes. Before they could embark on the crime, they must also have the key to the safe. Back went Agar to Folkestone, this time determined to succeed. He masqueraded under the name of Mr. Archer. Pierce had been entrusted with 200 pounds in gold, 
which he was to have packed, insured, and sent by train to Mr. Archer at Folkestone Station. As Agar himself had reasoned... You see, Pierce, if it comes to Folkestone, it'll have to go into the bullion safe. To get it, somebody at Folkestone will have to unlock that safe. And I can see where they keep the key. Everything went according to plan. Agar returned to town a few weeks later, but he came back. That morning he was on hand at the harbour station when the boat train arrived. To use his own words as evidence of the trial, Agar waited amid the stir and confusion while passengers and luggage were being embarked on the boat. And then... I saw the station master leave the railway office. I tried the door. It was unlocked. I entered and went over to the cupboard and took out the keys. I took an impression of the key I wanted and put it back in the cupboard. I went back onto the platform. The scene was set. Now came the question of trying it out. There were frequent consultations between the conspirators. How were the keys to be tested? Agar, who was little disposed to leave anything to chance, resolved on the expedient of himself accompanying Burgess to the van and trying them. This was a daring move. The risk of discovery of a stranger being seen entering or leaving the guard's van must have been great. Yet it was done not once, but seven or eight times. The keys had to be altered again and again ere they could be made to fit. Assistance was at last rewarded and the safe was opened. There, man. It's open. We've done it. A lesser man might have been tempted to take what could be got with his confederates, to have made off with the loot and taken the chance of evading pursuit and capture. Not so Agar. He was playing for big stakes. And having got so far, he did not intend to risk the fortune that was in sight, nor do anything that might jeopardize his chances of what the modern crook calls a clean getaway. He closed and locked the safe. He could have afforded to wait. The next thing we must do is to guard against discovery. What are you playing? We must get some lead shot. We can get it near Waterloo. All this must be brought up to my house at Shepherd's Bush. We'll make it up into cloth packages. But how can we get it to the station? I don't like it. It sounds dangerous. Nonsense. It's more dangerous if we don't take these precautions. We'll put the packages of lead in leather courier boxes. They have to be specially made. We can't carry those to the station. Why not? They go inside travelling bags. We'll have to rehearse it over and over again. We can't be too careful. Almost nightly for a couple of weeks, Pierce and he left the former's house, carrying carpet bags and with courier bags strapped to their persons under big cloaks. Pierce wore something of a melodramatic disguise, a black wig and whiskers. But, after all, there was some astuteness in disguising before the commission of a crime when it was less likely to be suspected than afterwards. If anyone should chance to notice him, the description would be misleading. And even if his disguise was penetrated, however suspicious it might seem, it was not illegal. After many fruitless journeys, the moment came. On May 15th, 1856, the two took a cab from a Camden Town public house to the appointed spot. I had word from Tester. When's it to be? Tonight. It's £20,000, I believe. So come along, we'll get started.
Agar and Pierce drove up to the station and descended. Two first-class tickets to Dover were taken, and the carpet bags handed to a porter. No doubt he was a little surprised at their weight, to be placed in the guard's van. Then Pierce took a seat in the first-class compartment, and Agar strolled up and down the platform, alert for an opportunity to slip unobserved into Burgess's van. according to plan. After months of planning, of patience, of ingenuous overcoming of obstacles, they were at last in a position to make their coup. One may picture Agar busily at work by the light of the guard's lantern immediately after the train steamed out of the station. There now, up with the boxes. Let me help you. You got the tools, hammer, pincers, chisels, wedges? Yes, all there. Right. What's in that bag? Seals. Wax and papers. Remember, the boxes must be done up so that nobody will know they've been tampered with. Now, up with the lid. There. Gold! Right. Take out just enough to fill this small bag. We'll get the rest out and then packed up in a few minutes. Scarcely had this part of the work been finished when the train drew up at Red Hill. Here, it had been arranged that Tester should be in waiting. Swiftly and unobtrusively, Burgess passed the black bag to him. He was to carry it back to town while his confederates finished the job. Both Agar and Pierce remained in Burgess's van and went on to Dover, which they reached at 11 at night. There, the two rogues alighted, and carrying their plunder, gave up their tickets and went to an hotel near the station where they ordered supper, explaining that they'd driven in and were going to London by the 2 a.m. train. The rest you know. for joining us and enjoying our digitally remastered old-time radio shows from SolvedMystery.com. Please remember to leave us a review and to follow us for frequent releases.